what people don't realize is that in some parts of the United States, actually the life expectancy and the death rates from like maternal health, like death during childbirth and things like that in um, Native American communities and African American communities is more similar to the developing world than it is to the rest of the, the United States or like the other developing countries. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 52 of Be More Well. I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and today we'll be talking about health equity and the disparities that we currently have in our system. I'll be speaking with Dr. Lisa Cooper. But before we dive into that, Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast that came about as I was trying to understand and learn more about living my happiest and healthiest life. I knew nothing about wellness, so I started this podcast kind of as an excuse to talk to people from all across the health and wellness spectrum. Doctors, athletes, musicians, moms, dads, everyone who's got a story to tell about how they've found mindfulness and wellness in their life. Ultimately, my goal here is to provide you with some information that will help you be happier, be healthier, be less stressed, more mindful. I just want you all to be more well. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since my last episode, and I do apologize for that. But what's interesting about that is how closely that ties into this week's episode. I've mentioned before that I'm a dad. My daughter is turning seven months old, actually, this week. I knew that having a baby would definitely keep me occupied, but I never knew how busy I would actually be. It is insane to me how much time of my day is taken up by her. And I do love every second that I get to spend with her. So don't get me wrong on that. But it does get in the way of other work, especially this podcast. I don't make any money off this. I do it for fun and for knowledge and to share something with you guys. So sometimes I do have to decide, do I sleep or do I work on the show? And let's be honest, sleep tends to win. But a topic that is gaining steam these days is childcare in the United States and how we don't offer it to people. Families struggle with no paid time off and trying to find ways to pay for childcare just so they can go to work to make money. I, I sometimes wish that I could afford to have full-time childcare at least a couple days a week so I can get some work done. But it's not in the cards right now. I just can't pull that together. I, I even have a friend that quit her job because she was making the same amount of money that she was spending on childcare. It just wasn't worth it for her to work because she was sending it all right back out the door. Then we look at other developed countries, and childcare is a service that everyone can take advantage of. Sometimes you got to wonder, why aren't we doing that here? Now, why does this make sense? My guest this week and I don't discuss childcare, but we do talk about health equity and disparities in the system. If I had more time with her, I think we would have gotten into the childcare subject, but we did focus primarily on healthcare and how it is in no way equal across the board. There are people in America that live on the same street that have very different experiences when it comes to healthcare, and these inequities are driving up costs and are also leading to major health problems for some people. And this isn't all about money, although that is a huge factor. It's also about access and systems. Where I live, on the edge of Baltimore City and Baltimore County, I've got a few hospitals within a couple of miles from my home. I've got a car, so I can easily hop in and drive to one if I need to. When my wife gave birth to our baby, uh, baby came a month early, so we were not prepared at all. I was basically driving back and forth from the hospital for four days to take care of our dogs and do work and be there for my wife and my newborn. But there are people in Baltimore that don't have access to cars and don't have hospitals right around the corner. Somebody with a serious injury might have to sit on a city bus for an hour just to get to a hospital. Sure, they could call an ambulance, but do you know how much that costs? It's crazy. The system is not designed fairly. 
And these are just a couple of examples. We also talk a lot about COVID in this conversation and how poor communities have not had as much access to vaccines or there is a serious mistrust in the system because of the way it's treated them. Even bigger than America here, too, we're talking about poorer countries that are not getting access to the vaccines. And now we're seeing variants of the virus, like the Delta variant that originated in poorer communities in India. If the richer countries kind of work together, they could have helped the poorer countries get vaccinated. And instead, we're seeing the problems from that inequity running rampant through the world right now. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Lisa Cooper. She's the founder and director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Equity. This woman is so impressive. Her resume is incredible. And we talk a little bit about that in the conversation as well. But Dr. Cooper has written a book called Why Are Health Disparities Everyone's Problem? Funny story here. Usually when I interview an author, I get a copy of the book to read before the conversation, you know, just so I can prepare. Well, they couldn't send me one because the first printing sold out. Apparently, people are very interested to learn more about what Dr. Cooper has to say. Now, before we jump into the conversation, just I have a couple of housekeeping things to touch on. Please be sure to follow Be More Well on whatever platform you're using right now so you'll be notified of all future episodes and updates. I'd really appreciate it if you could rate and review the show as well. That kind of interaction helps the podcast powers that be, know which shows are making an impact, and helps us suggest them to new listeners. It would be amazing if you could take a minute and rate and review. Also, I'm on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Be More Well Podcast. Please feel free to send me a DM with any comments or questions or even guest or topic ideas. I do love hearing from you about what you'd like to learn more about. Hi there. Hi. How's it going today? Fine. Where, where are you um, calling from today? Clarksville, Maryland. Clarksville. Okay, now so Clarksville. I always confuse Clarksville with Clarksburg. Where is Clarksville in relation to Baltimore? It's uh, it's south. It's near Clarksburg, actually, but it's in Howard County, which is just north of Montgomery County. Well, it is uh, good to talk to another, I guess, fellow Marylander um, on here because I feel like we'll have a, a lot to talk about here. So it's a pleasure to uh, chat with you today, Dr. Cooper. Likewise. Well, Dr. Cooper, I have to admit that my my insecurities are at an all time high today because I don't often talk to people with a resume such as yours. Um, and I, I just hope that I don't uh, don't sound dumb. Like, I hope that we can have a good conversation here. Oh, please. No worries. You know, I mean, we all like I we all have those feelings, you know, or I, you, have you heard of imposter syndrome? Yes. Yes. Where it's something that like, I live with all the time. <laughs> yeah. I know where it's like you're you've got these accomplishments and everything, but you feel like, wow, you know, I'm going to get found out. I'm actually not as smart as people think I am, you know. Well, I have to wonder, since you mentioned that, I kind of have to wonder, too, because you talk about your parents in your book and your parents just seem like such impressive people. And I know that, you know, whether they want to or not, parents can unknowingly put a lot of pressure on their kids just to live up to that kind of reputation. Have you, did you feel that growing up? Maybe a little bit. I mean, I, I would say, well, my mom was very popular and well connected socially, even though she's 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 also brilliant in terms of, you know, her work, her library work and work in museums and things like that. But she was, she didn't play that side of, of herself as much as she, her social connections. But my dad was pretty, um, pretty awesome, you know, as a surgeon and very highly regarded and, you know, skilled and that kind of thing. So, you know, and then I had an older brother and sister too. So there was, there was a certain amount of pressure <laughs> to, to measure up, you know, <laughs> For sure. I mean, it, it sounds like you had a, a really great family life. And I love that they 
that they taught you the importance of working with other people and helping other people out. Cause I, I just kind of feel like that's a message that's been lost in so many ways. And, and I do see the younger generation kind of picking it up a little bit here now, like the Gen Z's and all that, but it, it was, it seemingly was gone for a little while. We didn't hear as much from people. I tell my, my friends all the time, if there's one thing we learned during the pandemic, it's how selfish people really can be uh, in certain times, you know? Yeah, no, it's unfortunate, but I think we saw both sides of that because we actually also saw how generous and sure, you know, um, you know, caring people could be too. So something in your book that kind of stood out to me right away is you mentioned that you know while you were doing your education, you had planned on going back to now. Forgive me if I pronounce it wrong. It's pronounced Liberia, right? Yes, it is. Okay, you had you had planned on going back, but. While you were working here in Baltimore, uh, you saw a lot of things that kind of reminded you of home. And that was a statement that really just rang true to me because I think, you know, here in America, as Americans, we're always taught this message of how great this country is. And it is in so many ways, but there are a lot of things that maybe aren't so great. So it's it's interesting when you hear someone compare a great American city with, you know, a place that uh, did have some struggles over in Africa. Yeah, no, I know. I think that. That's something that a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, there's more, we have a lot of things in common, you know, um, we don't have as much of a gap between the wealth and the poor, you know, in many parts of Africa, because, you know, we have a lot of, we have poor people, and then we have sort of middle class people who really look very rich in, in those countries. Um, and in this country, though, which is a very wealthy country, we can have people like living in million dollar homes and literally like miles away, you know, people living in poverty. So um, I, I do think it's interesting, though, you know, that one what people don't realize is that in some parts of the United States, like actually the life expectancy and the death rates from like, for example, like um, maternal health, like death in childhood death during childbirth and things like that in um, Native American communities and African American communities is more similar to the developing world than it is to the rest of the, the United States or like the other developing countries. It's such a sobering statistic when you see that too, because you, you know, like I mentioned, we, we kind of are pitched this idea that we're living on this throne here in America when there is such a disparity in um, what people have available to them, especially when it comes to healthcare. It's so, it's so difficult to see that. I remember telling my family when I moved to Baltimore a few years back, I was like, it's interesting how you can be on one street and be like you mentioned in these million dollar homes and just go a block over. And it's a building that someone consider, you know, the projects. Uh, and it's just mm -hmm. so fascinating how quickly it changes um, in, in just this city. And I know other cities have a lot of very similar things. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's and it's actually not by accident either. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that it happened because there were like policies and laws that were in place that actually created those differences in those neighborhoods, you know. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that famous policy, infamous policy, I should say, of redlining, yeah. you know, of certain neighborhoods where, you know, banks would not invest in certain areas. And so as a result, lots of businesses didn't go to those areas. And so you have neighborhoods where a lot of people of color live, where there's not a decent supermarket that sells fresh fruits and vegetables. And, um, you know, the schools don't have the same investment, you know. Um, and 
people don't have as many businesses there. So as a result, you know, um, homes are, you know, don't, aren't valued as high and, you know, um, and then, so people actually just don't have opportunities and it wasn't an accident. It actually was through laws and policies that this happened. So we have to, you know, we're, even though some of those laws are being reversed, there are some long-term effects from them. Oh, sure. I mean, the damage from some of those is going to be going on for decades. You know, it's not mm-hmm. something that turns around over. And I, I had never heard the term food desert until I moved to Baltimore. That's where I learned that. I feel very lucky to have had the upbringing that I did, but it was still a you know lower class to middle class you know family that I was in, but still you know, much, much better off, so to speak, than so many people. Um, just, you know, to think like you just mentioned, there's there's no store that's accessible to some people just to get general healthy food. The closest grocery store is the corner store where the healthiest mm-hmm. thing you're going to find is a bag of potato chips. And that's just such a depressing thing um, to see. Yeah, no, I know. And that ties into a lot of what you talk about in your book, which is why are health disparities everyone's problem? And, and I want to start by talking a little bit about what your definition of health disparities is just, I'd like to hear how you define it and what you're looking for. You know, so health disparities are like, they are avoidable differences in health among groups that have different levels of wealth or power or prestige within a society. So it's not just that it's a difference, but it's a, it's a difference that's avoidable. And also just, it's unjust, it's unfair because um, there's not a good reason for the difference to exist other than the fact that decisions have been made to sort of distribute opportunities differently to certain groups of people. And so usually that's as a result of race or ethnicity in the United States. Sometimes it's, um, it's you know, income level, sometimes it's geography. So people in rural areas, um, sometimes it's women, you know, or sometimes it's people with uh, certain kinds of disabilities, whether it be physical or mental. And so that's what health disparities are. In your book, you mentioned that people tried to talk you out of studying this when you decided you wanted to learn more about this and you really wanted to make it your mission. And I'm, I'm curious if you can go into a little bit of detail as to why they were telling you to shy away from it. Well, you know, I think it's a complicated issue. Um, some people thought at the time that, well, it's really only a problem that affects a small segment of the population. It's not something that everybody, that affects everyone. Um, other people thought, uh, it's really just too hard to study. You know, sometimes it's like people feel like, well, if you can't measure something, then, then does it really exist? And I feel like part of the issue was finding out ways that you actually could measure it, mm. you know? And I actually did see how it could affect not only the people who were living with the disparity, but other people, because I had grown up in a country where, you know, even though I came from an upper middle-class family um, and, you know, but I could see people living around me struggling and going through hard times. And that was hard as a child to see other children who I knew were hungry and I knew, you know, weren't going to a really good school like I was. And eventually it actually led to a lot of civil unrest and it led to the political instability of my country. So I could really see how it affected everybody, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting too that you mentioned that uh, and how a lot of the differences and disparities in your home country 
led to a political unrest because I, I almost feel like, and not to go down a rabbit hole, I almost feel like we're, you know, on the edge of that a little bit here in this country too. It does kind of seem like there are people that are are really starting to get fed up with the disparities and the the you know lack of access to certain basic what people consider human rights. I agree with you. I think there's a lot of that that's that's driven a lot of the the civil unrest and kind of the social conflict that we've seen in this country over the past few years, especially in the last year, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, people got tired of seeing people of color being brutally treated and being murdered by police, you know, it's just was horrifying, not only for people in those communities, but people from other communities watching that. It's like, what kind of a society are we living in where we allow this kind of thing to happen? It doesn't make us feel that great about ourselves. So, but then also you have this, you know, pitting of of certain groups against others, like people feeling like there's only a limited amount to go around. And so we are all in the struggle to see who can get the most. Whereas if you sort of make it more like, you know what, we're all in this together and everyone matters and we, we are working so that everyone can have opportunities. It's so much better than making people feel like, well, if this group gets something that means the other group doesn't. And so what I always say is that health equity is not a zero sum game. It's not like if one group gets something that means somebody else loses. Actually, everybody wins, mm-hmm. you know, but what it is is that we have to give people and groups according to what they need. So it's not, some people think equity is the same as equality, but it's not. Like we didn't all, like we don't all need the same thing. You know, somebody who lives in a upper middle class neighborhood who drives a car to work and who um, has a decent paying job doesn't need, um, you know, extra subsidy to buy groceries, um, doesn't need um, uh, their rent to be like sort of uh, discounted, you know? Mm-hmm. But people who live in those neighborhoods do because we're not paying them a living wage so that they can afford to buy a, a, a comfortable home. So we so we need to give according to what people need. And then that provides opportunities for people to make good choices, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. So it's not like we're not saying that anybody loses out, but it's like if people get what they need, then everyone kind of does well. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that that message is really difficult to get through to people. It kind of ties in uh, similarly to uh, the idea of canceling student loan debt for people, you know, because then you have folks that say, well, I paid off my loan debt. Why do they not have to pay off theirs? Or, you know, there's that conversation about someone who says they don't see color. They treat everybody the same. It's like somebody would say, well, that's inherently got a racist undertone to it because you're not admitting that they are treated differently. People of color are treated differently. So it's hard to explain to someone that equality and equity are two different things. No, I know. I agree. It is complicated. I think, you know, sometimes we have different diagrams. And one of the diagrams I have in the book is the the one with people riding all the different bicycles. Mm -hmm. And if you give everybody the same bike, you know, uh, then there's a little kid who needs a tricycle, you know, there's a super tall person who needs a bigger bike. There's somebody who's using a wheelchair who can't ride the bike. So if you think about it like that, I think an image can sometimes help. It's like, it's not that, you know, the person in the wheelchair is getting more. It's like, they're just getting what they need to get around. Right. Mm -hmm. And the same with the, with the, the tall person getting the bigger bike there. It's not that 
they're getting more per se. They're getting something that they can ride, whereas a little kid could ride the tricycle. And I know that COVID is a big part of your book, too. And one thing um, to touch on, which I think is really interesting, is that with vaccine distribution, you can look very easily and see that the countries that would fall on the top of the richest countries list are the ones that are getting their hands on vaccines faster while you have countries that are more poor that are struggling to get some. And And I think it's interesting to look at a case like India, where the Delta variant has come from that we're all talking about now, where you've got cities that are just stacked with people, I mean, living on top of each other, where that has just become such a rampant thing and now is causing problems around the world. And you almost wonder, like, wow, if we had just done more to get that vaccine out to these other countries, it would probably be helping ourselves in the process. Absolutely. That's that's, you know, what we've been saying. Uh, those of us in equity work and public health have said for the longest time. It's like it's not only about vaccinating our own people. It's really looking out for everyone else, looking out for the rest of the world, because we're a global community. We're a global economy. You know, the fact that things shut down like in Asia means that we actually don't get some of the products we need, you know, too. Um, so there's that. And then 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 you have people traveling and, you know, people going back and forth. Everything is affected. We're all interconnected. So if we don't look out for everyone. You know, this is going to be a problem. It happened with Ebola. Yeah. And it's just that we didn't you know, it, it didn't get as out of hand as, as COVID-19 has. But that's why we have to really think about everyone and what everyone needs and not just not just ourselves. One thing that I'm kind of curious about, just touching back on Baltimore here, because I know personally from living in Baltimore, I can you know talk about this a little bit. Uh, vaccine distribution in Baltimore, the officials have seemingly tried really hard to get that vaccine out to a lot of people, uh, mobile units, uh, cold calling folks, doing whatever they can uh, to try to get that out there. But there are still large pieces of the more poor communities and communities of color that are not coming to get it. Um, so what do you do in a situation where it seems like you're trying so hard to give equity and you're trying to offer things, but they're not accepting it? What do, what do you do in that position? I know it's it's a real challenge. I mean, I think we we have to be really creative, um, also really patient. But I think, you know, there are different messengers that work for different communities and different kinds of messages that work. So really, kind of having relationships and connections with people who live in those communities, so that we better understand like what are the real concerns, because sometimes what we think is the concern is not the concern. So for example. I know at one point we were thinking that, you know, um, a lot of people who were in Latino communities were not getting vaccinated because they weren't understanding the messages and, or they didn't have internet access. And so, you know, uh, we were saying, okay, well, let's take a mobile van and, and go out there. Well, there were some concerns about people feeling like, you know, especially if they weren't, um, they didn't have immigration status, sure. that somehow going to get the vaccine, they were going to get reported. And it didn't matter whether a mobile van came out or not, because they were afraid that somehow they would get reported to authorities. So you have to really understand, like, what is the issue? What's the fear? What's the concern? And try to address that, you know, and not make up something ourselves. So that a lot of that comes through relationships and building trust and really having, um, working really closely with communities. And, and then realizing, you know, that we're not going to get everyone, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to get as many people as we can. 
And there are going to be pe- some people that we just won't convince, mm-hmm. but maybe after everyone actually everyone else gets vaccinated and you know things are going forward and, and those people see that people haven't actually been harmed or died from getting vaccinated, they'll finally get on board. Or maybe when it finally becomes something that's required to go back to work or to go to school, then people will, it will become sort of part of the, the normal, you know, fabric or the routine. I imagine that during the pandemic, you've probably been pulling your hair out uh, in certain situations, being a member of the healthcare field and uh, just seeing the misinformation and a lot of the craziness that's been floating around there. I'm sure it's been a very stressful time uh, for you. It has been. And I'll tell you, you can't actually predict like where it's going to come from either. There are some people who I might have expected to like not accept the vaccine who were sort of like, just let me know when it arrives. And then there were other people who I would have thought, you know, they're, they're educated, they've got health professionals in their family, and they, for some reason, had a different belief system and, and didn't want to get the vaccine. So, you know, it just makes you realize that you cannot make assumptions about anyone. <laughs> you know, you sort of, what you see is on the surface, but there are a lot of things below the surface that we have to understand about each other. And the more we sort of come from different backgrounds and our country's really very diverse. Um, it, it's challenging, but it's also like very valuable, all the different diverse perspectives and experiences we have. That's what makes us a very powerful and a very rich country is all, all these different skills and perspectives and, you know, but we, instead of, you know, like criticizing it or looking for differences and trying to, and being in conflict about it, we ought to be looking at how, how is this like helpful? How is this like moving us forward? You know, cause it does, it makes us more innovative, more creative, more competitive, if we can all kind of work together. So we need everyone. Yeah. And you've been studying health disparities for quite some time. And I would imagine that as frustrating as some situations have been over the last 15, 16 months during the pandemic, at the same time, it is kind of shining a spotlight on a lot of things that you've probably been working on that other people maybe haven't seen quite as much. So I bet in some way, it probably makes your your studies a little bit stronger because you're able to see them from a different angle. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a real opportunity. You know, it's unfortunate that we find sure. ourselves in this place, but I do think that it's really raised the, the level of awareness and the, the importance of the, the work that we do to a higher level. And so, you know, hopefully there'll be more investment in it now by people who pay for, you know, some of these programs and more awareness in the general public. So people will be more sort of active and engaged in solving these problems and also be out there, you know, voting for um, leaders that will actually uh, advocate for equity in in policies too, because now they're seeing how, you know, it affects all of us. So it's like everyone should have some skin in the game, you know. So I only have a few more minutes left with you. So I want to dive into, I guess, the million dollar question. Now, a piece of me uh, wants to say that it seems a solution to this would be some form of universal health care, because then you don't have to worry about people worried about their financial means uh, when it comes to taking care of their health. But the realist in me understands that's probably not coming anytime soon. So where do we begin, really, in trying to 
trying to help break down these health disparities that we have in this country? Yeah, well, you know, I think there are lots of different things we can do there, you know, there are like kind of three broad categories of things that we, my colleagues and I have spoken about. One of them is what we call creating communities of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so in that, what we mean is that we actually provide um, what we know from the science is that early childhood education and child development programs really change the whole trajectory of someone's life. Mm -hmm. So we need to focus a lot of our resources on education and on children. And we need to focus on making sure people have uh, jobs that pay a living wage. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds so basic, but that's really what allows people sure. to have opportunities to make healthy choices. So that's what we call creating healthy uh, communities of opportunity. So economic policy and, and educational you know, um, policy. The next thing we talk about is like putting more health into healthcare. Mm -hmm. So healthcare should be not only about um, treating people once they get sick, but we really need to invest in the prevention side of healthcare and in the primary care piece. So a lot of times we, we invest in a lot of technology and you know we can do the most sophisticated operations and organ transplants and all those things. And we need that. But the truth of the matter is, is that if we just invested in everybody getting vaccinated for common, you know, infections, and we made sure people went in just for a regular checkup, they get their blood pressure checked, and they knew how to eat healthy and exercise and those kinds of things, we would eliminate a huge majority of adult illnesses. Mm. So that, and then the third thing is kind of more along the lines of raising sort of awareness on a broader societal level and bringing helping people to develop empathy for um, different groups that are uh, disenfranchised, whether it be through storytelling, films, um, exposure, like through, you know, like kids need to be immersed in different cultures and different neighborhoods so that they can see how different people live. And then they'll better understand those issues and be able to work towards solutions with them. So that's a way we, we kind of, bucket those things. And so depending on where you fall, you can probably find yourself in any one of those areas uh, doing your part, you know? Well, Dr. Lisa Cooper, uh, the book is great. It's called Why Are Health Disparities Everyone's Problem? Really got me thinking, really opened my eyes. A lot of very interesting information. And I just want to say thank you for studying this and thank you for trying to shine a light on it because it is so uh, so very important. If anybody wants to find out more or wants to follow your journey, uh, is there a place they should go to do that? Well, they can order the book from Amazon, uh, Why Are Health Disparities Everyone's Problem? Uh, or from the JHU Press website. Uh, they could also go to healthequityhub.com. That's the, the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Equity website. A lot of uh, information there about our work and our programs and our training and um, can learn a lot about that and also about the book on that website, healthequityhub.com. Well, Dr. Cooper, it is a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for all of this and uh, great to see you. I hope everything else goes well. Thank you, Jeff.
Thank you to Dr. Lisa Cooper for giving me her time today. I wish I had another hour to talk with her because there's just so much to impact from this book. She is a fascinating individual. Maybe we'll get her back on the show at some point and we can dive further in. And thank you to all of you for listening and making Be More Well a part of your day. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and please take a moment to leave a rating and review of the podcast as well. Until next time, I'm Jeff St. Pierre. Be well. <laughs>